American Broadcasting Company brings to its entire network one of radio's most unusual programs. Pat Novak for Hire. That's what the sign out in front of my shop says. Pat Novak for hire. Down here on the San Francisco waterfront, it's got to be that way. You got to rob a few graves if you want cigarette money. You need lots of work and roomy sleeves if you're going to play a pat hand. Sometimes, in a good week, you can duck trouble three or four days in a row. And then it creeps up on you like an old charge account. Well, I should have known that when I went to the bank. I was up to my knees in mud and didn't even know it was raining season. It was Tuesday. I went by the bank to drop a hundred bucks. It was about time, because they were beginning to play handball with my checks. Must have been about 11 o'clock when I got to the window. Hello, Mr. Novak. Isn't it a grand morning? If it's your choice, stay with it. Ah, yes. Deposit a hundred bucks. Yes. Let me get your card. It's right here, I think. Yes. Here we are. All right. hundred bucks. Give me a duplicate, will you? Certainly. My, this isn't as big as the last deposit. Look, Bloomer girl, just mark the slip, huh? Oh. I'm sorry, Mr. Novak. I guess I'm not used to $1,000 deposits. Mm-hmm. What $1,000? Your Friday deposit. I wasn't in here Friday. Oh, you must have been. The card says you put in $1,000 on Friday. Give me that card. What did Santa look like? What? Who put the dough in? What did the guy look like? Oh. Didn't you? No. Look, we'll double back and try to hang on this time, will you? I wasn't in here Friday. I don't know anything about an extra grand. Now, what did the guy look like? I wasn't on duty Friday. Yeah. I'm not even sure about the fellow today. What fellow? There was a man in here to ask about the account. Did this good fairy have a name? No, just credentials. He was from the FBI. I see. Is there anything wrong, Mr. Novak? No, don't mind that complexion. I forgot my foundation cream. Oh, I should have known right then. A mysterious grand tossed into the till... I didn't wake up to trouble. But I'm a smart boy who'd be the village idiot in a town the size of New York. Well, I left the bank and went up to my apartment. That thousand bucks was already drawing interest. When I came in, she was sitting on the couch drinking my whiskey. She could have all she wanted. A 1949 Panther model. Just the right amount of size 12 in a dress that looked like a well-tailored fig leaf. When she was through looking you over, you felt like the Sunday supplement. Hello, Mr. Novak. I like your apartment. That's good. 
The view is wonderful. So is yours. What's on your mind? How about a drink? How poor you talk. My name is Connie Riley. Make me one, too? Sure. As you were saying? My name is Connie Riley. Yeah, well, I've memorized that much. Go on. Well, here's your drink. Thanks. Let's sit down. All right. Over next to me. I won't bite. That's too bad. Go on. Well, here's to your new bank account, Patsy. Look, sis, if you're here just for the field trials, all right, but if you've got a bill of goods, trot it out. I will. I want that card, too, Patsy. I want it ahead of Chris. I'll catch up with another drink. In the meantime, you fill in and help me, will you? Stop sitting on your hands, Angel. You didn't get that thousand bucks with the sweat of your brow. No, not yet. Somebody padded your account so you'd be a nice boy. I want you to be a nice boy for me. At the same rates? The Monterey Rose docks today. A passenger named Kurt Toomey is carrying a jack of clubs, and it means a lot to me. Well, it doesn't mean a thing to me, except the FBI is on my tail. Mr. Novak, you're turning a momentary advantage into a crowbar. You take your deal to some other broker. You're in business, whether you like it or not, Patsy. You're going to stub your toe either way, only... To me, it'll be more fun. How about the FBI? You're being frightened by a group of bureaucrats. Yeah, that's what Trotsky thought. How much, Patsy? Hmm? How much for that card when you get it? The price is a grand. <laughs> You're an amusing guy, Patsy. Yeah, a grand I can afford to be. You don't even know what the Jack of Clubs is all about. You never heard of Kirk Toomey till five minutes ago, but you take things in stride as if the whole world belonged to you. Yeah. You're like Adam when he first spotted the Garden of Eden. All right, little Eve, it's a thousand bucks. Remember, you're sitting on my doorstep. Now either go on home or come in the house. Good. I'll take the card. At your price. No, I can relax. Mm. I'll bet you can. Pour me another drink, Patsy. Yeah, sure, in a minute. What comes next? Do I get three guesses? You've got time to take them. I won't need them all. Well, it's up to you. Come here, Angel. Did you ever hear of the early bird? Yeah. Do I make a nice worm? You're wriggled like one. Aren't you raising that? Straight 18%, darling. <laughs> That's too bad. I wasn't even going to scream. The next place I live is going to be a cave. Just a minute, will you? Hello, Novak. Oh, Hellman. Well, well. Am I interrupting anything? No, we were just going over an old seed catalog. Miss Riley, this is Inspector Hellman, San Francisco Police. Good morning, Inspector. Don't bother to arrest me now. I'm just leaving. So soon? My sentiments exactly, Inspector. Bye-bye, Patsy. You can get me at the Concord on Push Street. See you around, Patsy. Sure. Well, you're slipping, Novak. Hmm? No rain check. All right, funny man. What's your problem? You... You ever see this guy before? Let me see. He's an awful-looking thug. Yeah. Who is he, your father? A guy by the name of Max Coleman. The FBI trailed him to your bank Friday. They think he gave you a thousand bucks. Yeah. Where'd you get the thousand bucks, Novak? What do you care, Hellman? Maybe a relative, maybe a maiden aunt. Nobody's related to you, Novak. You're in a jam lover, and I'm here to push your father in. 
Max Coleman buys his groceries with foreign dough. So what are you weeping about? Arrest the guy if you don't like him. There's government microfilm coming in on the Monterey Rose. That thousand bucks makes you a contact man for Coleman. Send the FBI over then. Where do you fit in? Waiting for somebody to drop some loose change? You're my project, Novak. When they asked us for help, I stuffed the ballot box to get you. Yeah. So relax. I'm going to spend the rest of the day here. You're not going to leave the living room. If I got to spend the day with you, I'll take knockout drops. Suit yourself. Uh, what's this stuff? That's good scotch. You wouldn't know. Oh. The cheap liquor's out in the kitchen closet. That's for you. All right. Over by the stove here? That's right. What are you keeping here, Novak? Mops and brooms. Where'd you buy this one? What are you talking about? Where'd you buy this one, smart man? him out. He rolled out on the linoleum. A dapper little guy, except for a piece of cord around his throat, tied in a funny knot. It was deader than a broken drum. Somebody pulled too hard on that piece of cord. The veins were standing out in his forehead, and his face looked like a road map lying there on the floor. He wasn't pretty. Hellman thought so, too. Who is he, Novak? Your father? I've never seen him in my closet before. Who is he, Novak? I don't know, Hellman. Finders keepers, you roll him. instinct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, here it is. Oh, his uh, name is Kirk Toomey. Well, that helps. Who is he? The guy on the Monterey Rose. The one with the microfilm? I guess so. I thought you didn't know anything about it. How'd you know he came from the Monterey Rose? My dream book, Hellman. What happens now? Nothing. Except I'm on the case now, and you got trouble in a major key. You don't think I killed this guy? I don't know, did you? You better hop out and tail that girl. She was making herself at home when I got here. Yeah? How do I know you're not in it together? You don't, copper. Maybe she's Loeb and I'm Leopold. When you're through with her, you might hit the Monterey and start looking for a jack of clubs. Some more dream book, Novak? Everybody's looking for a jack of clubs, Hellman. It must be the end of the rainbow. That's where you're going to find that microfilm. In the meantime, you stay handy, Novak. I want to split you with the FBI. You don't think I'm going to take the rap for Junior here, do you? It says that in my book. Just relax until I'm ready to pick you up. I only have to find a couple of things. Well, that'll be a long time, Hellman. You can't find your hip pocket with radar. Yeah. I'll be around soon, Novak. Don't bother to pack your bags. You'll be traveling light. Well, when Hellman left, I knew I was a second division club. That phony plant in the bank, the tie-up with Max Coleman... And that stiff in the kitchen made me look real bad. I had to do something in a hurry because the way things stood, I had about as much chance as a lawn party in a monsoon. There were a lot of bases to tag, so I looked up Jocko Madigan, an ex-doctor who invented the hangover, but a good guy. I finally found him over in North Beach at a little joint called Lupo's. He was eating pizza with one hand and strangling a bottle of wine with the other. Hello, Patsy. Oh, Frank. 
bottle of wine for Mr. Novak. No, I'm short on time, Jocko. That's where you're wrong, Patsy. People always say it, but it's a lie. Will you calm down a minute? You say you're short on time, but you have all the time there is. It's the one thing that keeps you from being a beggar. Yeah. There are only 24 hours in a day, and that gives you as much time as Napoleon or Alexander had. Will you shut up a minute and put on that wine? I'm celebrating, Patsy. I'm celebrating Mission Day. Mission Day's over. I'm a native son. We celebrate longer. Now, look. I'm behind the eight ball again. Uh, isn't it getting kind of crowded back there? What's the matter? Somebody strangled the guy and put him in my broom closet. When did you find him? I didn't. Hellman did. There's a girl named Connie Riley looks good for the job. Why doesn't Hellman book her, then? He's still picking up the pieces. The dead guy is Kirk Toomey. He was set to smuggle in some microfilm. It says here, I'm contact. You gotta help me, Jocko. You've got me confused with the travel agency. I want you to hop down to headquarters. Get all the dope you can on this guy, Toomey. I'm going to look up Connie Riley. How did she get in the picture? What difference does it make? She's a wrestler I met this morning. Now, get down to headquarters, will you? That's why I like you, Patsy. You're, you're like a piece of blank verse. A bad piece of blank verse. All right, Jocko. I'm going to make like a strip of bacon if I don't get going. Now, stay close to headquarters. If anything looks good, contact me at Connie Riley's here at this address. All right. How many times shall I knock, lover? I left Jocko and dropped by the apartment. I was smart and full of courage, like a field mouse at bay. The police had already been there. There was fingerprint powder all over, and the two bottles of whiskey were gone. They'd moved Laughing Boy out of the kitchen, and so I sat down trying to add things up. I had a short list of friends to see. Connie, Max Coleman, and whoever this guy Chris was. I had to show up with one of them or prove that Kirk Toomey hung himself in my closet. I was getting ready to borrow a piece of cord myself when the phone rang. Yeah. Hello, Novak. This is Hellman. I'm thrilled. What's on your mind? I just called on your girlfriend. What'd she say? Nothing. She wasn't there. She hasn't been there since 10 o'clock this morning. That's funny. Yeah. You know where she is? How would I know? I just thought she might be in your closet. I picked up Toomey's stuff on the Monterey Road. Yeah, what'd you find? Well, the usual stuff. A few clothes, some shaving equipment, razor blades, toothpaste, and a pack of playing cards. Pack of cards? Well, you know where to go from there, Hellman. I thought I did. Grab that jack of clubs. Will a ten of hearts do? Huh? That's right, Novak. A nice, fat deck. But the jack of clubs is missing. Oh, you're always too little, too late, Hellman. I just thought I'd let you know, friend, in case you start a bridge game with 53 cards in the deck. Good night. Oh, I was losing money fast, like a street carnival in Death Valley. Well, one of two things happened. Somebody got on that boat and took the jacket clubs while Toomey was at my apartment. Or maybe he brought it with him. If he brought it with him, Connie was a possibility. Or somebody that got there ahead of Connie. Well, anyway, I, I had to work fast now because whoever had that card wasn't going to put it on a Market Street float. About ten minutes later, I cut across Union Square and up Bush Street. When I got to Connie's apartment, it was about ten o'clock. I got in the back door and started through. She wasn't there, so I went to work looking for that jack of clubs. It was real easy. I tried the desk and... And her bureau drawer. 
You know, that black chiffon's coming back in style because that's where I found the card. It looked nice nestling there. I put it in my pocket and that's as far as I got. You run the lingerie counter here, Novak? You sound like a guy named Chris. If it makes you feel better. Should we put on the light? No, no. Let's don't put on the light. This gun might upset you. The police are looking for you, Chris. You need more than the dark. I understand they're looking for you, Novak. That Riley girl kind of put you on the spot. Tell you what I'll do, though. Yeah, you'll give me $1,000 for the jacket clubs. <laughs> I started to say 500 Around here, that's a whisper. And even grand, mister. You're trying to collect too many places. Want the 500 No, I don't. All right. But I think you're a bum businessman. <coughs> <coughs> Jocko found me catnapping on Connie's bare rug. Must have been right after the sapping. When I woke up, Jocko was thumbing my head like a housewife with a bowl of margarine. I felt around and waited for him to put the floor in again. I reached in my pocket. The jacket clubs was gone. Then I started to talk. <clears throat> Jocko. Did you expect someone better? Help me up, will you? I've helped you get up so much, I feel like one of the Wright brothers. I just lost round three. Yeah, I saw him getting into the car. Did you get a number? Like Hellman's got yours. Here it is. Let me see. Anything break down at Homicide? They got all the dope on to me. They had to piece it together. He had no fingerprint record, and they finally confirmed things with a set of false teeth. What does it prove? Nothing much, except you probably killed him. He was a foreign agent who picked up microfilm at Shanghai. Your uh, girlfriend is pretty. Did they find her? Yeah. Dead? No. Patsy, you've got to stop thinking of people as being dead all the time. It's demoralizing. What'd she say? She denied knowing anything about to me. Jocko, I'm sure she killed that guy up in my apartment. I'd stake my life on it. Expertly put, Patsy. I think Hellman believes her. After all, she's the only lead. What about Max Coleman, the guy that rigged my bank account? Are they letting him die on the vine? I was getting to that. Your friend Max Coleman has disappeared. I thought he was being tailed. Yeah, the kite got away. Here, use my aspirin. <laughs> Well, I took a boat out to the Monterey Rose, but that was a waste of time. Hellman had it covered like a tarpaulin. I still had the license number to Chris's car, but that didn't do any good. Even if I found him, all I could do was point my finger. There were still a lot of things that didn't fall into place. One of them was, how come that jacket clubs was so easy to find in Connie's apartment? She hadn't hit it very well. But... After all, maybe that was a habit with her. Well, things didn't look any better the next morning. I went into a restaurant next to the press club for some breakfast. The Chronicle was lying on the counter. We were in second place. Because it was a torso murder all over page one. That second cup of coffee saved me. Because right after that, I spotted it on one of the back pages. A picture and a 
small story about some unidentified guy who'd been killed over in Oakland. I couldn't match the picture too well with Hellman's snapshot of Max Coleman, but it looked like my best break so far. I got over to Oakland, and I went straight to the morgue. The guy in the morgue was chatty. Which fellow you want to see? The unidentified guy. He must have come in last night. Sure. Down this way. Okay. How do you like our morgue? One of my favorites. It's bigger than San Francisco. Yeah, I figured that. Sure. Most people don't know that, but it's true. Bigger than San Francisco. Here we are. Right here. Help me slide it out. Sure. Roller bearings. Makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Here, let me get that sheet. All right. Well, well. Recognize him? Yeah. What time did he die? Coroner's report here on the toe tag. About 11 o'clock last night. Two gunshots. 38 caliber pistol. That's good. Don't look good to me. Was he a friend of yours? Relative or something? Yeah, a relative. He's my maiden aunt. It was Max Coleman, all right. But that was only half the problem. I had some of the answers, but not enough. It's like trying to weave a rug with a spinning wheel and a bucket of sand. Well, anyway... I got to a payphone and I called Jocko. I told him to run down that license number, and I headed back across the bridge. When I found Jocko, he said the car was registered in the name of Christopher Downs, who lived up on Taylor Street. Well, that was enough of a lead, so I telephoned Hellman. It took about a half a minute to draw a map. Hello? Hellman talking. This is Novak. You still got Connie Riley down there? No. I saved matchboxes. Why? When did she leave? Last night about 9.30. Oh, that was smart, Hellman. Why? You better put a guard on her front door and get up to 720 Taylor Street, the apartment of Christopher Downs. Who's he? A late entry. Now climb out of that coma and get going. I'll meet you up there in 10 minutes. 720 Taylor Street? Yeah, it's up on the hill. That's good, Novak. I can roll you all the way down. When Jocko and I got up to Down's apartment, there was nobody home. I said a fast prayer for Connie, and I began going through Down's stuff for a 38 caliber revolver. Jocko was looking, too, over in the liquor cabinet. That's as far as we got. Cabin's your hunt, Mr. Novak? Hello, Chris. You haven't seen a 38 around? Just one. It's in my pocket. The same one that killed Max Coleman? You're gonna run out of breath, Novak. Slow down. I'm in second already, mister. I can't stop. Then you won't mind a short ride. Out the door and down the back stairs. Shall we bring the lap robe? There's nothing to worry about. It's a short trip. You won't even have to wire the folks. We went down the back way and into the garage next door. We started for a big car in the corner. All right. Get in. Out the airport road, Joe. Sure. Now relax, Novak. From here, you look like a duck in the pond. All right, Joe. Watch out, Joe. Joe, watch out. There's another car coming in. 
You're right, Chris. It was a short ride. You all right, Novak? Stop acting like the mother hen, Hellman. Take this guy's gun. All right, mister. Get out. Who is he? Christopher Downs. He killed Max Coleman last night. Does he convince you, mister? Not entirely. Well, at 38 will. The Oakland police have two slugs that fit that gun. You need more? No. I'm afraid you've got all the trumps, Novak. All right, let's go, you. Let's see you earn it, copper. Stop him, Novak! He ain't going far. Well, Hellman, now you can arrest him for jaywalking. Yeah. Too bad. He could have told you a lot about that stiff in my closet. Well, go pick him up, Hellman, and don't forget that jack of clubs in his pocket. Well, it worked out all right. I left Hellman, dropped by headquarters to leave a note, and then I went home to my apartment. Connie was there, and the whiskey was out again. Oh, she looked real good, sitting there in a white crepe dress. It was one of those tight-fitting babies that make a bathing suit look like a toga. I told her all about Chris and Max Coleman. And we forgot about everything but the Olympics. When she put her arms around you, it was a real squeeze. It felt like an old tube of shaving cream. I was pouring a drink when the doorbell rang. Hello, Hellman. You ready, Novak? Sure. Well, don't stand there gaping. Arrest her for murder. Wait a minute. Slow down, Patsy. Sorry, chum. It's you or me. Now, be a nice boy. I am. That's why you go to Hellman. Come on, lady. You dig up an answer for that guy that you left in my closet? I didn't leave any guy in your closet. You'll have to say it louder, baby. They found the story about the cord. That cord came out of your kitchen. You're a big mouth, Connie. Yeah. You can put that in boldface. How did you know? You're the only one that could have taken that jacket club here in the apartment. That and one other thing. Yeah? That knot in the cord was a funny knot. You got an elastic garter there. Too big. So you tied a knot in it. The same funny knot that choked Kirk to me. You're a funny guy, Novak. Yeah? You're nice. But you're hard to handle. I should have killed you and married you. Ready, Hellman? Jack of Clubs was a phony right from the start. Somebody told Kirk Toomey to deal with me. When he came to my apartment, Connie was waiting. She got jumpy and killed him. I got there too soon, so she had to stall me off. When she got home, she found out that the Jack of Clubs was a phony. She left it in plain sight, and Chris gobbled up the bait. When he discovered there was no microfilm, he went gunning for Max Coleman. Max was an innocent thief lying low, waiting to buy it from me. So, all three of them were after a phony card. I began to suspect it was phony because everybody hung around. If it was the McCoy, Connie would have cleared out. Same for Chris. 
the microfilm? Well, it was in Hellman's desk, but he didn't know it. Jocko finally tumbled. The report said that Kurt Toomey had false teeth. When Hellman picked up his stuff on the ship, it was a tube of toothpaste. You don't clean false teeth with toothpaste. Word must have gotten around that the microfilm was inside that jack of clubs, so Kurt crossed them up and put it in the tube of toothpaste. Well, that's all, except they canceled my $1,000 deposit. Hellman said it was lucky I noticed her garter. Lucky? Well, she had to straighten her seams, didn't she? The American Broadcasting Company has just brought you the second of a new series, Pat Novak for Hire, starring Jack Webb. Jocko Madigan is played by Tudor Owen. Inspector Hellman is played by Raymond Burr. Music was composed and conducted by Radio and Television Life Award winner Basil Adlam. In our cast were Betty Lou Gerson, Victor Perrin, Ted DeCorsia, and Herb Butterfield. Today we're happy to welcome a new member of the ABC family as station K-A-R-M in Fresno, California, joins our network. And now this is George Fenneman reminding you to be with us again next week when over most of these same ABC stations we'll bring you Pat Novak for Hire. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Okay, lunch is over. Now back to work. Hiya, Mr. Flintstone. Greetings, Rocky, my boy. Pack of Winstons, please. Ah, you like them Winston cigarettes, huh, Mr. Flintstone? Mm, but, of course, they really got something. You bet your life. Folks who really enjoy smoking know it's what's up front that counts. And that's where Winston steps out ahead of the crowd with their exclusive filter blend. Choice golden tobaccos, specially selected and specially processed for filter smoking. Hold it, hold it. Hey, what you mean? What are you pitching Winston's at me for? You know I never smoke nothing else. Just practicing, Mr. Flintstone. Everybody knows that... Winston tastes good, like a cigarette should. Yeah. See you soon, Rocky. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell about another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective Sherlock Holmes. I suppose your dinner is well over by now, so now's the perfect time to get out a bottle of that swell Petri California port. You know, Petri port was just made for a time like this, after dinner when you're just taking things easy. If you've ever tasted Petri port, you know what I mean. 
It's a hearty, full-bodied wine with a deep red color and a flavor that's just about out of this world. I think that if you had only one wine to choose and the whole world to choose from, chances are you'd pick port. Petri port. That's how good I think it is. That's saying plenty, I know, but I think Petri port will easily live up to all I say about it. Try it and see. And share it with your friends. You can serve Petri port proudly because the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. And now let's visit our old friend, Dr. Watson. Admiring the sunset, eh, Doctor? Yes, my boy. It's a particularly beautiful one. Where are the puppies this evening? Uh, asleep on a, a favorite tweed coat of mine that's just come back from the cleaning. <laughs> and you hadn't the heart to move them, I suppose. No, no, I hadn't. The little fellows looked so comfortable. In fact, I sometimes wonder if these... Uh, if you can come here to listen to a dissertation on the behavior of dogs. Well, it is getting near story time, Doctor. Yes, of course it is. Well, just let me uh, get my pipe properly lighted. Ah, that's it. The story I'm going to tell you tonight began in 1909. I received a telegram from my old friend telling me that he was leaving his Sussex bee farm and coming to London for a few days. I hadn't seen the great man for several months, so naturally I went to Victoria Station to meet him. As the train drew to a stop, the door of a first-class carriage swung open and Sherlock Holmes, hand outstretched, jumped down onto the platform to greet me. Watson, my dear fellow, how are you? Oh, Holmes, my dear fellow, it's good to see you again. I've missed you. And are you, old chap? Harry Bates, sir? Uh, yes, Porter, and get us a hansom cab, will you? Right, Chalk, Governor. I wish I'd got a spare room for you. Don't worry, Watson, I shall be very comfortable at the Diogenes Club. By the way, I trust you're free this evening. Yes, naturally. What are your plans? I thought we'd go to the theatre. Theatre? Oh, what play do you want to see? Well, I thought we'd go to the Savoy Theatre and see the Sherlock Holmes play. I hear it's enormously successful. Yes, I know it is, but I've avoided it. I'm told that Sir Claude Horton takes great liberties with your character, and as for the actor portraying me, my friends tell me it's a, it's a travesty. He makes me nothing but a uh, bumbling old fool. <laughs> Therefore, a visit to the play might be a salutary experience for both of us. In any case, my trip to London is a response to an urgent telegram from Sir Claude himself. Seems to need my help rather badly. Oh, what's his trouble? <clears throat> well, he wasn't specific in his telegram. He suggested, however, that we attend tonight's performance and discuss the matter with him afterwards. I see. Well, I, I suppose if you can sit through it, I can. Of course you can, old fellow. In any case, you yourself are partly responsible for the play's existence. How do you mean, Holmes? <laughs> Those sensational stories you wrote of my modest problems, I... I should have seen where they would eventually lead to. In time, no doubt, we shall uh, be portrayed on the cinematograph as well. Nonsense, Holmes. That newfangled thing's only a toy. I think not, Watson. We're on the edge of a strange new mechanical world. In fact, I begin to feel a certain concern about the rumored developments in wireless telegraphy. But enough of these predictions. Here comes our porter with a cab. We'll tell the driver to take us straight to the Savoy Theatre. <laughs> Just look at that line of people at the at the uh, box office home. Very flapping, old chap. Well, possibly, but I hope it doesn't mean that we've got to wait our turn. And... Oh, excuse me, gentlemen. 
You're Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, aren't you? Yes, yes, I yes. thought I couldn't be mistaken. My name is Frank Ferris. How do you do, Mr. Ferris? I'm glad to meet you. Sir. The Claude has a box reserved for you. He asked me to see that you are quite comfortable. Very considerate of him. Will you follow me, please? Thank you. Um, neither of you has seen the play before, I understand. Uh, no, Mr. Ferris, we haven't. <laughs> I imagine it'll be a strange experience seeing yourselves portrayed on the stage. By the way... <laughs> I'm playing the part of an old friend of yours, Professor Moriarty. Oh, indeed. I'm <laughs> looking forward to a very entertaining evening. I presume that you escape our clutches, as usual? <laughs> yes, I do, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> and I've done it nightly now for 137 performances. Oh, a record that I'm sure Professor, uh, Professor Moriarty himself would envy. Had it not been for his memorable demise at the Rackenback Falls... Ah, here we are, gentlemen. This is the box reserved for you. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go back to my dressing room. Oh, oh, I nearly forgot, Mr. Holmes. Sir Claude asked me to give you this note. Thank you. No, not at all. Well, I'll see you later. <laughs> Very nice fellow for an actor. Don't be a snob, Watson. Well, what does the Claude note say? I'll read it to you. Dear Holmes, since I telegraphed you yesterday, there have been strange developments. In fact, I've been doing some detective work off stage as well as on. Watch the performance tonight and watch the audience too, particularly the occupant of the box opposite yours. Please come to my dressing room as soon as the last curtain has fallen. Oh, he's being very mysterious and the box opposite ours is empty. No, no, no. Look, Watson, look. Someone has just entered. Confound it. The house lights are going out. The first act's beginning, Holmes. The first act, yes. Well, sit back and relax, old fellow. Let's see what they've done to us. Well, what did you think of the first act, Holmes? Huh? Oh, the first act, yes, yes. I was uh, examining the occupant of the box opposite ours. An attractive young lady, alone and unusually preoccupied in her program. In fact, one might assume that she was trying to hide her face. Yes, but the play, don't you think it's ridiculous? Just imagine a crown jewel being stolen from the Tower of London. Why not? It's been attempted many times. Anyhow, you must admit that the actor who's portraying me behaves like a, like a blithering idiot. <laughs> and Sir Claude's interpretation of you is uh, pretty far-fetched. Far-fetched, but flattering, Watson. What poise, what suavity, and what a voice. I find myself thoroughly entertained. You're a strange chap, Holmes. No accounting for your tastes. Look, Watson, look. The back of the box over there. Good Lord, I could have sworn a man dodged behind the curtains. I don't think the girl saw him, though. Looked like a foreigner. Huh. I think as the young lady's alone, we'll take the liberty of joining her. Oh, dash it, there go the lights again. The second act starting now. And sit down, old fellow. We don't want to attract attention. We'll join her during the next intermission. with me. Uh, my name is Sherlock Holmes, and this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, young lady? I hope you'll forgive this intrusion, but Sir Claude requested that I keep an eye on you during the play tonight. Please come in and sit down, won't you? Thank you. Oh, this is very kind of you. You must forgive my abruptness just now, but I've just been watching Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson being impersonated on the stage. It's, it's rather startling to have the real couple walk into my box. <laughs> yes, I quite understand. By the way, just before the curtain went up on the second act, I thought I noticed a man come into the back of this box and then disappear again. Were you aware of his presence? No, no, I didn't see him. But I know who it is. 
It's been following me for weeks now. Perhaps you'd like to tell us about it, Miss... Uh... Henshaw. Alicia Henshaw. Yes, I would. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm here tonight. Sir Claude Horton's an old friend of my father's. I want to ask his advice. He did some investigating himself for a few days, and then he found himself a little out of his depth, so he decided to telegraph for you, Mr. Holmes. We were going to meet in his dressing room after the performance tonight. Splendid. And now, Miss Henshaw, what is your story? It's a strange one, Mr. Holmes, though I didn't realize just how strange until I first saw this play a few nights ago. You see, my story concerns Estelle and Ruby. Good Lord, and tonight's play revolves around the same thing. Exactly. I might as well tell you how it all started. My brother's an officer of the British Army stationed in Egypt. Early this year, he saved the life of a very important native personage in some uprising in Cairo and was rewarded with a magnificent ruby. This jewel he sent to my Uncle Timothy and me. Oh, we're the last of the Henshaws, you see. Did your brother tell you the name of this personage? He didn't know it, Mr. Holmes. Apparently, the whole affair was hushed up. I see. Please continue. Well, the trouble began shortly after Uncle Timothy and I received the ruby. A description of it was published in the papers, and a few days later, a message came to us from Egyptian Mohammed Ali, laying claim to the stone as one stolen from his family years ago. He sent an expert to our house who examined the ruby under a lens, Mr. Holmes, and then tapped it with a hammer. It fell to pieces. It was a fraud. Gracious me, an amazing thing. I'm sure that's not the end of the story, Miss Henshaw. Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. I wrote and told my brother what had happened. He became very suspicious and suggested that I investigate the credentials of the expert that examined the stone. I think I can finish the story for you. The supposed expert was a jewel thief who substituted a paste ruby for the real one. Destroyed the imitation and walked off with the treasure. It's no trick. Of course, you haven't been able to find any trace of the supposed expert. Well, that's the funny part of it, Mr. Holmes. Uncle Timothy and I gave a description to the police, but it was a very vague one, I'm afraid. All the time, Uncle said the man reminded him of a colleague of his many years ago at the university, a professor of mathematics. He couldn't think of his name, but when we first saw the play a few nights ago, he was reminded of it. The name was Moriarty. Moriarty? But Moriarty's dead. Miss Henshaw, you say you uh, have been shadowed for some weeks. Yes, an Egyptian. You've stolen the ruby, Mr. Holmes. Why don't they leave me alone? That, Miss Henshaw, represents a, a very fascinating problem and one that I shall be most happy to help you solve. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Holmes. Oh, there go the lights again. The last act. Yes, the last act of this little play, but not, I fear, of Miss Henshaw's problems. Uh, let's meet after the act in Sir Claude's dressing room, shall we? <laughs> Holmes, how did you enjoy the play? Very much, Sir Claude. May I introduce my old friend, Dr. Watson? How do you do, Sir Claude? How are you, Doctor? I see you've already made the acquaintance of Miss Henshaw. She, no doubt, has told you her troubles, eh? Yes, Sir Claude. And Mr. Holmes has promised to help me. Splendid. Uh, tell me, Watson, how did you like the play? It was uh, very interesting, Sir Claude. Not quite accurate, of course. Well, you, you have to allow us a little dramatic license, you know. Uh, what did you think of Rodney, the man who was betraying you, Doctor? Well, since you mention it, I think the fellow needs to study diction. He, he mumbles so much, I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> oh, come now, old fellow. I, I think there are times when you're a little hard to understand yourself. Oh, rubbish. Sir Claude, I oh, hope so you'll uh, meet us at the Diogenes Club, and then we can go out and have some supper. Excellent idea. I'll join you there after I've taken off my makeup. Splendid. I think I should be going home now, Sir Claude. I gave my address to Mr. Holmes so he knows where to get in touch with me. Very well, Miss Henshaw, and don't worry. 
I shall give your problem my undivided attention. I'll take you to your cab, my dear. Oh, there's no need to, Sir Claude. Nonsense, I insist. Goodbye. I'll be back in a moment. Right, Miss Hatshaw. Good night, good night. Strange business, Holmes. What, what do you make of it all? Very little as yet, but it's a fascinating problem. Sir Claude really seems to have identified himself with the character of Sherlock Holmes. He gave me the impression that he feels quite capable of, of solving the case by himself. Hello. Claude hasn't left, has he? Oh, no, Mr. Fellows. He's coming back in a moment. Uh-huh. <clears throat> How'd you like to play, gentlemen? Very much. Your own performance as Moriarty was most convincing. Yes, yes, indeed, sir. Congratulations. Congratulations. A couple of times there, I had a strange feeling that you, you really were Moriarty. Well, that's very flattering, Doctor. Oh, hello. Well, it sounds as if there's some trouble at the stage door. Hey, excuse me. Come on, Watson. Let's follow him. Right. Hello, it's Claude. He seems upset about something. Yes. What's happened, Claude? Oh, there you are, Holmes. I, I just seen Miss Hanshaw off in her cab when a foreign-looking fellow came out of a doorway and got into another cab. I heard him tell the driver to follow her. I, I tried to stop him, but he got away. Must be the same man that we saw in our box during the play. Yes, Claude, we have our address. I think we'll drive there at once and see that she's arrived safely. We'll join you later at the Diogenes Club. Off on another adventure? Yes, and one they may give us an opportunity of crossing over with Moriarty once more. Oh, Moriarty's dead. He was killed when you and he fell over the precipice in 91. He was supposed to have been killed, just as I was, but his body was never found. It's impossible, or rather possible, that he returned to pour into the ears of Colonel Moran a story as unlikely and as true as the one I related to you on that April evening in 1894. One can never be sure of death, old chap, until one has touched the cold skin of a corpse. Dr. Watson's story continue in just a few seconds. Hardly time for me to tell you about a really great Petri wine. Petri California Muscatel. Did you ever walk through a vineyard early in the morning and pick a big, juicy muscat grape right off the vine? Mm-mm. If you've ever done that, then you know what to expect when you taste Petri Muscatel. Petri Muscatel is the color of golden sunshine with a flavor to match. Serve Petri Muscatel after dinner some evening, or serve it any time friends drop in. It's a wonderful way to express your hospitality with a wonderful wine, a Petri wine. And now back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. The famous pair have become involved in a strange mystery concerning a stolen ruby, a frightened girl, and an Egyptian who appears to be shadowing her. As we rejoin our story, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are standing in a darkened alleyway adjoining the girl's house. Holmes, Holmes, look, look, look. That Egyptian fellow. He's pacing up and down in front of us. Yes, therefore, we may assume she's safely inside. Uh-huh. Seems to be giving up. He's, he's coming this way. Flatten yourself against the wall. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Who are you, please? We are friends of Miss Hanshaw. And we're very curious to know why you've been following her. I'm sorry that I cannot answer your question, sir. Now, look here, my man. You're talking to Mr. Sherlock Holmes. You are Mr. Sherlock Holmes? I'm greatly honored to meet you, sir. All my life I have known of you. All my life I have admired you. Then in that case, perhaps you'll answer my questions. 
Uh, why have you been following Miss Henshaw? Because it is my duty. What do you mean, your duty? Perhaps I should have said my destiny, Mr. Holmes. For two generations now, the Fay of Arabi, of which I am a humble member, have dedicated their lives to finding the stolen treasure of Ashut. What on earth all got to do with Miss Henshaw? Hmm? The treasure of Ashut is a giant ruby. It was stolen many years ago from the family of Muhammad Ali. A few months ago, Miss Henshaw received a mysterious ruby. I have found out many things, Mr. Holmes. I have many sources of information. Then I must regard you in the light of a, a rival detective in this case. I hardly call myself a detective, Mr. Holmes. My life is dedicated to only one problem. Miss Honshaw now says the jewel was stolen from her. I do not believe it. That is why I watch her. If I am wrong this time, and I do not think I am wrong, then my quest must go on. Always it will go on. Permit me to wish you the best luck, sir. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Good night, gentlemen. Good night. Sure, we shall meet again. Oh, why did you let him go, Holmes? Why not? He's frightening Miss Henshaw. But not molesting her, old chap. In fact, it might be a good thing if someone is keeping an eye on her. In the meanwhile, Watson, let's see if we can find a cab and get back to the Diotis Club. I don't want to keep Claude waiting. Flora, has the Claude Horton arrived yet? Yes, Mr. Holmes. He and another gentleman came in about five minutes ago. They went up to the library. The other gentleman has just left. I see. Thank you. This way, Watson. I'm sorry, Sir Claude. We've kept you waiting. We took a little longer, but... Sir Claude! Great heavens! What's the matter with him? Holmes! I... I... I found the answer. Too late. It's... No, 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 sir. Don't try and stand up. You're... You're ill. What are you trying to tell me? The ruby. The ruby. Moriarty. The answer... The answer's... In... The book. In... The book. Sir Claude! Holmes! He's been stabbed. He's dead. Just as he was trying to give me a message. He was muttering something about the ruby and Moriarty. And twice he said, it's in the book. Yes, there's a book still in his hand. It's a copy of the tales of Edgar Allan Poe. His thumbs marking a page. It's the story of the purloined letter. Thank you, Sir Claude. You delivered your message. Come on, Watson. If we want to catch a murderer and a thief, we must go back to the Savoy Theatre as quickly as we can. <laughs> Why do you suppose Sir Claude was murdered? Because I was too curious. Been investigating the problem of the stolen ruby and found out something. Something he promised to tell me at supper, you remember? And so he was killed by a man who came with him to the club tonight. Fortunately, he gave me a clue. By indicating Poe's story of a purloined letter. But I still don't see that how that helps you. Well, it leads us to the ruby. The premise of Poe's story is that the most obvious hiding place is the safest. Now, what uh, a physical object was most prominent on the stage in tonight's play? By Jove! Uh, a ruby! Exactly! How better can you hide a stolen ruby than by exhibiting it night after night as a stolen ruby before the eyes of thousands? Well, you mean you expect to find it in the, in the property room backstage? Precisely. That and a murderer. Wait for us, Kelly. Come on, Watson. You have your revolver, old chap? Yeah, yes, I do. Well, keep it handy. Our uh, visit may not be unexpected. Unlocked. That's good. Come on. Look, Holmes. Look. 
The doorkeeper. He slumped over his desk. Hmm. He's been given chloroform. We'll take the liberty of borrowing his lantern. Huh. An eerie atmosphere about a dark and empty theater in the home. Now, where would the stage properties be kept, I wonder? Hold the lantern a little higher, will you, old fellow? Yeah. That's it. Ah, look over there. A large cabinet. It's marked property department. And it's unlocked. Oh, this is frighteningly easy. Let's look out for a trap. Now, let's see. Look, look. There's a ruby lying on that press. Hold it up under the lantern, Watson. Exactly. It's as I thought. This is no paste stage property. It's a genuine ruby. In the light of this lantern, it's very hard to... Down, Watson, quick! He nearly got us. Smashed our lantern. Yes, he's got an air rifle, a powerful one, too, confront. There's no flash to indicate where he's firing from. Of course, he's baited his trap so neatly that he's exactly where we are. I'm going to take a shot at him. I can't see anything, but at least it'll let him know we're armed. Now move your position quickly, Watson. Just missed me, Holmes. This is hopeless shooting in the dark. Yes. I've got to switch the stage lights on. Keep him occupied, old fellow, will you? While I try to find the light switches. I've got him. But he can still shoot, confound it. Yes, well, I found the light switch. Keep your eyes skinned, Watson. I'm turning it on. There he is, Holmes. Up in that box. Getting away. After him, Watson. We can jump over the footlights into the box. The bird has flown, Watson. I should have remembered that theater exit doors always open from the inside. No, no, he didn't get away, Holmes. Look on the floor there. It's that Egyptian fellow. I hope you haven't wounded him too badly, no, old chap. I don't chap. care if I have. He was trying to kill us. No, it's only a shoulder wound. He's fainted, infernal scoundrel. No, he's a very gallant man. Undoubtedly, he was trying to save us as you shot him just now. Holmes, what on earth are you talking about? Obviously, he's Moriarty. No, Watson, Moriarty just escaped through the door you heard clang a few moments ago. Then what's this man doing here? As a fellow detective, undoubtedly he followed us. Perhaps he preceded us. When Moriarty started shooting, this man tried to capture him and got wounded by you for pains. Then who is Moriarty? He must be someone connected with this theater. It's obvious. Moriarty is Moriarty. What? You mean Frank Ferrers, the fellow that played the part on the stage? Again, remember Poe's story of a purloined letter. But why didn't, didn't you recognize him? Oh. Remember, I haven't seen him for 20 years, and you haven't forgotten his genius for disguise, have you? What incredible audacity. How better could Moriarty conceal himself than by announcing nightly to the theater-going public that he was Professor Moriarty? Then he killed Sir Claude. Of course he did. Sir Claude must have persuaded Moriarty to go to the club with him. Probably he hoped to expose him in front of me, but Moriarty found out that uh, Sir Claude knew too much. Yes. So he stabbed him. Rushed back here to bait his trap for us. Yes, 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 yes. But, but how did he know that we'd uh, we'd walk into it? Well, he knew that if Sir Claude had guessed his secret, then I said would, and so he was waiting for us. Oh. Hello? He's coming too. How are you feeling, my man? The... The ruby. The ruby. Did you find the ruby? Yes. Here it is, sir. Tell me, is it the ruby of Muhammad Ali? No. No. It is a fine stone, but it is not the one for which I have searched all my life. And so my endless quest must go on. And 
On, on. He's fainted again. Ah, poor devil. I'd miss. I made it this case, Watson. Oh, I don't know. You've recovered the ruby? Yes, look at it, old fellow. Before I turn it over to Miss Hanshaw, look at it well. Probably it's every facet stands for a bloody deed. It's a beautiful stone. And yet this lovely bauble has cost Sir Claudie's life. And that devil Moriarty still goes free. But one day, Watson, and may the day come soon, I shall meet Moriarty again. And when that happens, and I finally bring him to justice, then and only then, can you write Finney to the character of Sherlock Holmes. Well, Doctor, that was kind of an exciting story. Tell me, did the Egyptian recover from his bullet wound? Yes, indeed he did, and rather quickly, too, Mr. Foreman. I felt very badly about shooting him, but of course, uh, I couldn't help it. Of course not. Uh, but you know, if I had to shoot someone accidentally, I, I wish it could have been the, the actor who portrayed me on the stage. Wretched fellow mumbled all over the place. <laughs> oh, don't worry about that. After all, you did recover the ruby. Yes, and a beautiful stone it was. The color of, uh, well, uh, the color of a fine glass of port when the light shines through it. By a fine port, I take it you're talking about a Petri port? Is there any other kind? <laughs> well, all kidding aside, Doctor, Petri port, like all Petri wines, is good wine. And I can tell you why very simply. Petri took time to bring you good wine. You see, the Petri family has been making wine for a good many generations, since way back in the 1800s. And because the Petri business has always been family-owned, everything the family has ever learned about the art of making wine, they've been able to hand down from father to son. From father to son. That adds up to a lot of skill and a lot of experience when it comes to turning plump, juice-filled California grapes into clear, fragrant, delicious wine. So when you want a wine for any occasion, obviously you'd go wrong with a Petri wine because Petri took time to bring you good wine. And now, Dr. Watson, what story do you have lined up for us next week? Oh, uh, now let me see. Next week, Mr. Foreman, I'm going to tell you a most unusual adventure that occurred to Sherlock Holmes and me early in the last World War. It took place in Flanders and concerned a famous British general, uh, an actress, and a German firing squad. Boy, that sounds like a real thriller. Well, see you here next week. No, no, no. Uh, not here, Mr. Foreman, remember? Oh, of course. Next week, we're going to be at the Paramount Theater in Hollywood for the Seventh War Loan Drive. That's quite right. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't invite you all to my home for one of our broadcasts, but we can get together next week at the Paramount Theater in Hollywood. You can get a free ticket for our broadcast by buying a war bond. And I sincerely hope that you will do this so that we can see you next week at this time. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is based on an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of the Second Stain. Mr. Rathbone appears to the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce to the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series.
the Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Oh, the Petri family took the time to bring you such good wine. So when you eat and when you cook, remember Petri wine. To make good food taste better, remember... Pet, Pet, Petri. Foreman saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.